again to the podcast. This is Dave, and the Conversations As You Go podcast is here to empower disciple makers, to help people have keys and conversations about key issues of making disciples. This week, we're not going to be listening to a conversation, though. I recently heard a sermon that was given at Crossway Baptist by Dave Ferguson. And you can find this uh, sermon at Crossway Baptist's uh, website. But I just thought it would be a huge blessing to those who are making disciples. Because uh, Dave Ferguson talks about the idea of apprentices, making apprentices, being hero builders or hero makers, and thirdly, kingdom builders. These are three big ideas, are really, really great concepts as we multiply ourselves into the lives of others. I really like some of the lines that Dave uses in this sermon that our fruit is found on other people's trees and how true is that. And uh, so as you listen to this, there's some real key principles of how we pour ourselves into the lives of others and uh, become disciple makers for those who go and make more disciples. I trust that you enjoy this sermon. By the way, this sermon can be found at the website of Crossway, www.crossway.org.au under the sermons, and the series is called Core Strength. But uh, for the sake of this podcast, just keep listening. You're going to love it. Uh, Dave Ferguson at Crossway Baptist. I'll tell you, here's, here's what I want to start. I want to start with a, uh, a story, and this is something. We're going to go back to 1983. Okay, we're going to go back to 1983, 40 years ago. And it's kind of this legendary business conversation that took place. It had been five long months of negotiations between one of the most successful corporate CEOs, a guy by the name of John Scully, who was the CEO of Pepsi, between him and a young 20-something who owned an upstart business, and he was trying to develop something called personal computers. Uh, This is their picture here. Take a look. Does anybody recognize that young 20-something in the foreground? Go ahead. What's the name? Exactly right. Steve Jobs. And the company he was getting ready to start, or had just started, was Apple. And as the story goes, Steve Jobs and John Scully met, and they walked, and they talked. And John was trying to get his head around, why in the world would he leave Pepsi to join a personal computer company? Well, at the end of five months of talks, Scully finally made up his mind, and he told this young 20-something Steve, he said, listen, I've made up my mind. I've thought about this a lot. I'm not leaving Pepsi, and I'm not coming to Apple. Well, it was at that point that Steve Jobs, I mean, he was just exasperated. In disbelief, he kind of shakes his head, and then he gets very close to Scully. In fact, uncomfortably close. And he looks at Scully, and he says this. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come with me and change the world? The next month, Scully resigned from Pepsi. He becomes Apple's new CEO. In the next 10 10 years, he took it to over $8 billion in revenue. And if most of us reached inside our pocket and pulled out what's in there, we would all agree, in some way, he really has changed the world. And I start with that story because I believe that same question is a question that I think Jesus is asking Crossway Church. Will you come with me and let's together change the world? I think it's also a question he's asking me personally. Dave Ferguson, will you follow me 
And in some way together, we're going to help change the world. And I think it's also a question he is personally, and I hope you open your heart to this this morning, both you in this room and also you, all of you watching online, that he's saying to you, will you follow me and let's together go change the world? I was reflecting on some of the key scriptures that describe Jesus' interaction with those first followers, that first 12. And the very first interaction, we'll look at these on the screen here. In Matthew 4, 19, he utters those words, right? He says, come follow me. Instead of being men who are fishing, we're going to make you fishers of men. That was the first thing he said. The last couple things he says to his followers before he leaves the end of those three years. In Matthew 28, 19, he says, okay, here's the, here's the strategy. Go make disciples. And if we do that, if we go make disciples, we will impact all the nations. In Acts 1.8, he says, right before his ascension, right before he leaves planet Earth to go back to heaven, he says, if you will be my witnesses, and he was talking to folks just like us, if you'll be my witnesses, that word witness is the Greek word marturias. Say that for me, marturias. Right, marturias, does that sound like anything? Kind of sounds like martyr. It does. It comes from the same word as martyr. He's saying, if you will trade your life for this cause, whether it's all at once or one, one moment, one minute, one day, one year at a time, together we'll take this thing from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And what I hear Jesus saying to his followers back then, and I hear him saying to you and to me and to us today is this, do you, do you want to come with me and change the world? Now, I want to kind of break this down. As I look at this interaction, I think we see Jesus' mission and we see his vision. We see both those things in those three verses, his mission and his vision. His mission in Matthew 4, 19, follow me. The vision, you'll become fishers of men. Matthew 28, the mission, we are to make disciples. And if we do that effectively, we'll impact all the nations. The vision. The mission in Acts 1, 8. You'll be my witnesses, Marturios, you'll trade your life for this cause. And if we do this, the, the vision, it'll go to the ends of the earth. And so in summary, you wrap it all together and Jesus said, listen, our mission is disciple making. Disciple making. And I think as a church, I mean, this, this is a disciple making church, right? You value that. You teach other churches how to do that. And the vision is if we can get that right, we really can. We can bring transformation and God's love and redemption and eternity <laughs> to all the world and change the world. All right, so let me ask you. How many of you have already said, you know, yeah, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. How many are at a place where you're going like, yes, that's what I want. Let's see his show of hands. Come on, let's see him. There we go. Yes, very good. How about you way back there? You guys, okay, yes, yes. How about over here? Yes, all right, look at that. This group over here, what about way back over there? A little tentative, yes. Okay, very good. So we've already said yes, and we've heard from Jesus, come follow me. See, my question then, and I want to, I want to wrestle with this just for a few minutes this morning, why aren't we in a more profound way changing the world? I mean, we're hearing some great things. We're hearing some great things here at Crossway about what's happening with young adults and, and some church planting and, and even the, the, the Holy Spirit weekend through Alpha. About a half dozen people said yes to Jesus. So there are some good things, but how come we're not seeing more change across Melbourne? How come we're not seeing more change across Australia? How come we're not seeing more across the Western world and out the entire world? What is missing? Is there something missing from our disciple-making efforts? That would, if we could put it in place, that we could begin to change the world. As Dale mentioned, I, I do have the privilege that I do get to travel really around the world quite a bit, talking to folks just like you. 
Most of my experience is in the Western world, some other parts of the world. But if I was to make an observation of what are the missing practices from our disciple-making efforts, that maybe these are the things that are missing that keeps us from really seeing more profound change, real movement like Jesus described, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. I want to offer you three practices, three practices that I think are still missing from our disciple-making. And, and to be honest with you, <laughs> I would love for you to take this personally. All right? Sometimes you know people, oh, I don't mean it personal. No, I mean it personal. I want you to go like, okay, is that missing in my life as someone who said yes to Jesus, as a follower of Jesus? Here's the first thing that I see, okay, as I travel, that, that is missing from a lot of us as we try to be disciple makers, and it's, and it's this word. I'm going to give you this word, apprenticing. Apprenticing. All right. I love this term, apprentice, and I got this from a guy named Dallas Willard, who probably knows more about spiritual formation than anybody in our lifetime. And if you've never read anything by Dallas Willard, anything he's written is worth reading. He's, he's a brilliant guy. But he would use the term apprentice, actually, instead of disciple, because what he observed in the Western world is discipleship has often come to mean only cram more stuff in my brain, to take a class, to learn more facts. And he would suggest that apprenticeship, okay, or apprenticing is both um, the knowing and the doing, both the head and the hands. And that apprenticing is more than just being a disciple, because that's just you, but apprenticing is actually this act that we're called to of disciple making, to be one and to make one. To be one and to make one. And if we want to change the world, Jesus' vision it's not enough just to be a disciple. We have to be in about the task of disciple-making, apprenticing. All right, so how did, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus do this apprenticing? Because I would contend that he did exactly that. Well, in John chapter 3, verse 22, there's a little part of a verse there that we just run right past when we're reading this, the Gospels. And it says this. You can see it on the screen. It says this. Jesus and the disciples went into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. Now that little phrase there, spent some time with them, um, you might go like, well, what's the big deal? It's actually a very big deal. Spent some time. Again, the original language with the New Testament was written, that phrase there is, is, is a composite word. Uh, say this after me, diatribo. All right, diatribo. You can go home and say, I know Greek. I was worthwhile time at church. Diatribo. And it's actually two different words. It means, uh, the dia actually means against and tribo means to rub. And you put those together and it means like to rub against or to rub off. And here's what apprenticing means. It means that Jesus spent time just rubbing off on them. Jesus spent time just rubbing off on them. Yeah, some of you already saw it do that. Go ahead, just lean over to the person next and just rub on them a little bit. Just go ahead and do that. Just rub a little bit. Go ahead. There you go. Yeah, just go ahead. You can do that. Just rub off on them a little bit. You see, if you're doing that, there you go. That's, that's a little too much back over there. Okay, just pace yourself. <laughs> Diatribo is that idea that Jesus just spent time, a little bit of Jesus rubbing off him. And here's what happens when you do diatribo. Pretty soon you start to become like that other person. You start talking the way they talk. You ever seen that happen? I mean, I think if I spent much more time here in Australia, give me another few weeks and pretty soon my vacations are going to turn into a holiday. <laughs> right? My trunk of my car will become a boot. Right? Instead of putting gas, and if you're in Chicago, that's how you say it in Chicago, gas, right? Gas. Instead of gas, I put petrol in my car. I would start talking like you. Diatribal, that's the way it works. We start caring about the same stuff. We, we even become, we kind of start looking like each other. Have you, ever, have you ever seen like an old married couple? They've been together like 60, 65 years, 
And it's like the longer they're married, the more they kind of even look like each other. I think stuff just kind of rubbed off, you know? That's what happened there. It was funny. I was, I was doing, this, um, I was doing this, this, this talk in London. And I was talking about diatribo. You rub off. And I'd have, hey, turn over and rub, rub on somebody a little bit. That's what diatribo is. And, and the British, you know the British? I'm like, hey, just go ahead and lean over and do a little diatribo. And they're just like this. <laughs> I mean, nobody moves. It was like the next day, I, I'd, I'd flown to Spain. That's so why I was in Spain doing a similar talk. And I was like, diatribo, lean over and rub off on somebody. You know, the Spanish, they're like, oh, they're like wrestling with each other. It's like, it was something else. But I want you to get this, okay? It was through diatribo that Jesus apprenticed this small group of followers. And what happened? He catalyzed a movement. Even Jesus, think about this, even Jesus, God in the flesh, didn't try to change the world on his own. He diatribo'd. And that's exactly what Jesus wants every one of his followers to do. I want you to take this personally. And i got to ask you a question now. You ready? Who do you spend time with? Who are you apprenticing? I mean specifically, can you give me the name or two or three people? The one that, yeah, these are the people I'm trying to do disciple making. I'm apprenticing them. I'm helping them I know what I know, do what I do. If you've learned how to pray, I'm helping them know what I know and learn how to do it. If, if you know what it means to lead a Bible study, you're, here's what I know and here's how you do it. If you lead a small group or a ministry, here's what I know and here's what, and you're apprenticing someone. Are you, you tracking with me on this? So, so, so important. And what I, what I see a lot in the West, okay, and you guys decide if it's true, whether you should take this personal. I see a lot of people saying, oh yeah, I'm a disciple, but they don't understand to be a disciple. Actually, Jesus said, no, to be a disciple means you're a disciple maker. It means you're apprenticing. You're apprenticing. So ask yourself, who are those people that I'm apprenticing? Because together we could change the world. You don't have to do a bunch, just do some. And together we could change the world. All right, here's the second word. I'm going to throw a new word at you. You ready? Here's the second thing I see that's missing. Really around the world, a lot of our discipleship efforts. And here's the word. The word is hero-making. You probably haven't heard this before, but I want to unpack it. Hero-making. Because um, once you're apprenticing someone, once you're apprenticing someone and you've got a list of people that, yeah, these are the people I know intentionally I'm investing my life in, you do everything you can to make them the heroes. It's really important that you begin to have the posture that this, that this story that we're living out together, I am not supposed to be the hero, but they're supposed to be the hero of the story. And I do everything I can to make them the heroes. Let me, let me give you an example. A mentor of mine who totally got this was the guy that, by the name of Bob Buford. Probably doesn't mean anything to you, but he made a ton of money in the cable TV industry. Um, and, and it was actually when his son... His young adult son suddenly and tragically died. He had this wake-up call, and he, he called it his halftime. He actually wrote a best-selling book called Halftime. The subtitle was From Success to Significance. From Success to Significance. And it was really at that point, he started pursuing, instead of success anymore, he started pursuing significance. And I think another way of thinking about it, instead of trying to be the hero of the story, he began to look around at other people that he could apprentice he said, I want to be a hero maker to them. I want to be a hero maker to them. One of the things that he would do, and I would encourage you, take this personal, do this, okay? He would actually carry it like a three-by-five card, a little, little card, either in his back wallet, okay, in his wallet in the back, or sometimes in the front of his pocket. And he'd have the names 
of 10, 11, 12 people, names, specific names, I'd encourage you to do the same thing, that he was apprenticing. And he would do everything he could to make them a hero. He would invest in them relationally. He'd die a tree boat. He would invest in them financially. And, and, and by God's grace, I was one of the names on that list for a short amount of time. He was making that shift, and maybe some of you are going like, I need to make a shift too from being from success to, to significance. Instead of trying to be the hero all the time, I need to make heroes of other people. And one of the things Bob would say, and this is how you know you're a hero maker, I'd encourage you to start using this language. He would say, my fruit grows on other people's trees. Hear that? My fruit actually grows on other people's trees. And so I know, I know for Bob, like, like, Dale was kind enough to mention some of the things I've got to do. Like when we planted a church, when we started church planting. Last year, the network I lead, we helped plant more than 9,000 churches last year. You know what? Bob said, oh, my fruit grows on Dave's trees. Are you following me in this? I think one of the, I mean, Jesus himself, in his leadership style, was a hero maker. I would contend. Look at John 14, 12. John 14, 12, Jesus is with the guys that are on his list of apprenticeship. Okay, his 12, that's who he's with there. He's apprenticing them. And here's what he says to them. He says, very truly I tell you. Imagine Jesus said this to you. You're one of his 12. He says, very truly I tell you. Whoever believes in me, you're going to do the stuff that I've been doing. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. I mean, that, that's, that'll rattle your cage. But then he goes even bigger and he says, no, no, no. In fact, you're going to do even greater things than what you've seen me do. Jesus was actually saying, for the, during these three years, I'm going to invest in you so that I train you so you can reach more people than I ever did. I'm going to show you how you can take the gospel to more places than I ever did. In fact, you're going to be the ones, he's talking to his apprenticeship list there, you're going to be the 12, out of this, you're going to be some of the people that write the best-selling book, the Bible, not me. And you're going to have a far greater impact in your lifetime than I ever did during my three, year of ministry, three years of ministry. Jesus was being a hero maker, and his fruit grew on other people's trees. And because he invested in those 12, did everything he could to make them successful in ministry and life, here we are, how many years later, and now, I mean, around the world, there's between two and three billion people that claim the name of Jesus. See, it happens that way. That's the way, that's the way it happens. One of, my, one of my favorite examples, kind of a contemporary example of hero making, is a... Uh, a woman by the name of Shalane Flanagan. All right? All right. That, that's a whole lot of red, white, and blue, right? Um, any, anybody, in the, anybody in the house that is a, uh, is a runner, a distant, any runners in the house? All right. We have one person in the whole room. Oh, my goodness. Well, you, you are going to love this story. Okay? The rest of you, you can listen in. Uh, Shalane Flanagan is what I would say probably the premier, maybe the greatest ever distance runner, female distance runner in the, in the United States. In, in 2017, okay, 2017, no female American had won the New York Marathon in 40 years. Okay, like our race, it's in New York City. No female American had won in 40 years. It was always Africans. Africans would show up and they just would just crush us every time, every time, every time for 40 years. Well, in 2017, she wins the New York City Marathon. And she does it in a blistering time of two hours and 26 minutes. The New York Times writes an article about her. 
And I want to read this article to you, and I want you to think about, okay, your relationship with these people that you're apprenticing. Because you should ha- start having a list by now that you're starting to formulate. Here's what it says. When Shalane Flanagan won the New York City Marathon last week, her victory was about more than just an athletic achievement. Perhaps Flanagan's bigger accomplishment lies in how she nurtures and promotes the rising talent around her, a rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Check this out. Every one of her training partners, all 11 women in total, have made it to the Olympics with her an extraordinary feat. They call it the Shalane Effect. Okay, I'm going to, since we're, we're, we're in this together. What's your name? Addie. Addie? Addie, all right. Imagine, Addie, that they had the Addie Effect. <laughs> Everybody in the room knows you're up to great things, but guess what? You guys, you there, you're close enough to Addie. Guess what? Just because you're close to Addie, you're in proximity, you get to go to the Olympics too. That's the Addie Effect, right? I mean, everybody would be clamoring after we're done. Let's get close to Addie. Because she's, she's not trying to just be the hero. She's being a hero maker, right, to others. And, and here it goes on to explain how she does this. It says it's the Shalane effect. It, she is, um, you serve as a rocket booster for the careers of women who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself. She has pioneered, okay, a brand of team mom. I love this. To the young and up-and-comers with a confidence, and church leaders need to hear this, a confidence not to tear others down, and not to try to protect their place in the hierarchy. That's what it means to be a hero maker. Now, so Shalane wins. Shalane wins the 2017 New York City Marathon, right? First time in 40 years. Any female Americans won in 40 years. 2018, the Boston Marathon. No female American had won the Boston Marathon in 33 years. Again, there's always the Africans coming over and dominating. All right, so who do you think wins the 2018 Boston Marathon? Help me out. No, not Shalane. We're not making her the hero of the story. Help me out. Yes, we're getting it. Okay, so there's this woman named Des Linden. Des Linden's one of these runners. She's also a terrific runner, but she always came in second. She always came in third. She never quite could finish first. Go, go Google this story. It's awesome. I love this story. She, Shalane Flanagan, goes to Des Linden, okay, and says, this is your year. This is your year, Des. So in the 2018 Boston Marathon, it's terrible weather condition. It's raining. It's brutally cold. Runners are dropping out. But guess what? The whole time, Shalane and Des run the race together. In fact, they run the race not only together so much. That's, that's like this picture of apprenticing. There was so much so that actually when one of them has to stop to go to the bathroom, they both stop. Then they get back in the race. Towards the end of the race, Shalane didn't have it that day. She couldn't finish and guess who wins the race? Des Linden. First time a female American has ever won it in 33 years. That's what it means, not only to be a, but to be a hero maker. Now, that's, I, that's not even the end of the story. In 2016, 125 female Americans qualified for the Olympic marathon trials. How many did I say? 125. In 2020, 2020 four years later, Almost unexplainably, you have, there's a certain standard you have to hit. It doesn't move. Almost unexplainably, we had over 500 female Americans that qualified for the Olympic marathon trials. And everybody's like, how in the world do we end up with over four times as many in a four-year period? And the only thing they could point to is what they called 
the Shalane effect. The only causation, the only correlation is that she inspired women to do things they thought they could never do on their own. Isn't that awesome? And we're just talking about running. I'll tell you, this is part of the reason I get so pumped about this. Maybe it's, it's actually a little personal. So I have two boys that are, that are both runners, and they've accomplished, they, they've gone to nationals. One was a two time All American. They've done great things in running. My daughter, my oldest daughter, okay, my, my only daughter, who's the oldest child, all of a sudden in, uh, in 2018, she decides she wants to run. I mean, she's always gone and cheered. She decides she wants to run. And she comes to me and she says, Hey, Dad, would you run the Chicago Marathon with me? <laughs> and what can you say as a dad? Come on, you got it, right? I mean, your guys are going like, I'm saying no. What are you talking about? And of course. <laughs> I said yes. I said yes. And in 2019, my daughter Amy and I ran the Chicago Marathon. And it's one of the greatest memories of my life. So awesome. And part of it, I mean, in some ways, this woman inspired that. See, that's what it means to be a, not just to be the hero, but to be a hero maker. And that's what we need. You've got to have this list of folks that you're investing in, you're apprenticing, but then you do everything you can. Ephesians 2.10 says there's a good work prepared in advance for you to do. That's every one of you, okay? There's not just a good work. Hear me on this. This, this may be the most important thing I say today. There's not just a good work prepared in advance for Dale and Edie to do. Right? Again, I want you to take this personal. Not just for them. Yes, them, and they're, they're doing it. There is a good work God prepared in advance for all of you to do. And also every person that's on your list. How do we become a hero, maker for them? That's what we're talking about. All right, let me add you a third thing. Here's a third thing that I think may be missing. We're missing this apprenticing thing. We're missing this hero-making thing. But we're also, I think, missing what I'm going to call this kingdom building. Kingdom building. And kingdom building, I think what we see a lot in the church and again, let's take it personal. Let's take it personal individually. Let's take it personal corporately, too. All right? We see a lot of people that are more interested in building their castle than building God's kingdom. They're more interested in their own reputation, more interested in their own ministry, more interested in their own church than they are God's kingdom. Because here's what's going to happen. You've got that list of people, all right? And these are like, almost like your kids, you got this list of people you're apprenticing, and you do everything you can to make them successful. They're going to they're want to do all kinds of wild and crazy and courageous things. And you just need to go like, you know what? I don't care if it happens under this roof or any roof. I don't care where it happens. As long as it's glorifying Jesus and advancing his mission and building his kingdom, I'm behind you. I'm behind you. I'm for you. Um, anybody know the name Millard Fuller? No. Addie, how about you? You know Millard Fuller? Oh, bummer. Now I'm done. It's nothing. Okay. Miller Fuller was a guy. He, uh, we're going to go back to the United States again. He was a New York City attorney. He actually gets radically saved. And the good work God prepared in advance for him to do, okay, just him, was to eradicate homelessness. That was the good work God prepared in advance for him to do. Ephesians 2.10. Eradicate homelessness. He started something called Habitat for Humanity. How many of you have heard of Habitat for Humanity? Oh, wow. Hold on. Okay, just make note of that. Nobody's hand goes up when I said Miller Fuller. All these hands go up when I say Habitat for Humanity. And just to go back to the second point, that's what it looks like to be a hero maker. You may not get the credit now. You may not get the glory now. But you're making a kingdom impact. You're moving the Jesus mission forward, and God will know someday. And God will know someday. So anyway, Miller Fuller, 
Several years ago, um, I had a couple real estate buddies, and we were hoping to get a little bit of time with Millard Fuller. We were just hoping to get a little time. We both had this idea. We wanted just an hour of his time to ask him a couple questions that we thought he could really help us with. Well, we fly from Chicago down to Atlanta, and then we drive from Atlanta to America's Georgia, this little town, which is their headquarters. And he's just extraordinarily generous. I mean, terrific. I mean, he not only gives us an hour of time, he shows us around America's Georgia, shows us different Habitat for Humanity homes. He takes us out to lunch. He buys lunch. He answers all of our questions. I mean, he's treating us like we're his friends. And uh, I'll never forget, we get back to his office, and he looks me in the eye, my two buddies sitting there, with great enthusiasm, and he says, you know what, Dave, I think everyone, everyone deserves a simple, decent place to live. And again, that's, that was his call as a disciple. And then he asked me, he says, don't you think, Dave, everybody deserves a simple, decent place to live? And I knew the answer was yes. And, I'm, and he was such a compelling, motivational kind of guy. I mean, there's like adrenaline rushing through my body. But I had no idea how you do that. Because, I mean, there's, hundred, there's well over 100 million people who literally have no shelter. So how do you do that? Well, he begins to explain his strategy. He said, if I want to accomplish a vision that big, okay, We've talked about some big visions. If I want to accomplish that vision that big, he said, I knew I couldn't just be a carpenter because I might build, you know, dozens of homes. I knew I also couldn't just be, start a construction company because then there might be hundreds of homes. And he even pointed to my two friends who are real estate developers. He said, I knew I also couldn't just be a real estate developer because, yeah, you might be able to start tens of thousands of homes and apartments. He said, what I realized I had to do is I had to apprentice folks. I had to find a way to make sure every follower of Jesus learned to swing a hammer. Because if I could apprentice folks so every follower of Jesus could swing a hammer, then that vision was possible. And here's what he did. He did that. He would train people how they could, how they could come together and they would build homes. And guess who would be the hero? The hero were those home builders, those volunteer home builders. And he trained his staff to make sure they understood, oh, the hero of the story, when it's all said and done, it's not, not me, you don't even know his name. Okay, the hero is going to be these volunteer home builders. And they would actually have a ceremony whenever they'd open up a brand new home. They still do this. And the ceremony would be simply this. They give, they give the new homeowners, here's your keys to your house, and here's a Bible. They make a big circle and they have a prayer, and they make sure it's very clear that the reason that we've done this The reason we've done this is in the name of Jesus and to build God's kingdom. To build God's kingdom. All right. Guess who who today is the biggest home builder in the world? Come on, that's a softball. You know the answer. Who's the biggest? Right. Habitat for Humanity. Isn't that something? 29 million homes they've built. Isn't that something? It was funny, too. He also said, he said, and not only are we the biggest home builder in the world, but we also build the best homes. I was like, how's that? He said, well, we use three times as many nails as everybody else. <laughs> and, I, and it kind of goes back to it. I was this focus on apprenticing, hero making, and kingdom building. Have you started taking it personal yet? I'll tell you, what, I, I, want, I want to stay, I'm going to have a prayer time. I want to say a prayer for, for every one of you. And I've done enough talking. And I would love for the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. All right, I would love for God's Spirit just to speak to you. Because he's intentionally put you in that job as a teacher. He's intentionally put you in that job as a business leader. He's a, intentionally put you in that, in that construction site. 
Wherever he is, he's intentionally put you there. And around you, right, around you, and some of them are your kids, some of them are your neighbors, some of them are the people where you, where you live and you hang out and play. But he wants you, okay? He wants you to have your list. Because I'm not just a disciple, but I'm a disciple maker. I'm going to be, in the, that first thing, I'm going to apprentice them. And when I have that list, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm not worried about my reputation. I'm not worried about whatever thing I'm doing. I want to do everything I can to help them see the good work that God prepared in advance for them to do that they flourish. And then at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is kingdom building. Kingdom building. All right. We got, we got just a little bit of time. You know what? Um, I was thinking, I'm, I'm looking over here at Emory's family. In many ways, too, I think um, the way this whole community rallied around Emory, right? I think in some ways that's what we're talking about. How, how do you begin to see those people, okay, that they're, they're like these babies that have all this potential. And the same way that his mom and dad, and his, his, her mom and dad, and her grandparents will do everything they can to see them flourish. That's the way you treat these people that God's placed around you strategically. Why? For the kingdom's sake. For the kingdom's sake. All right, let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I'll tell you what, go ahead and just extend your hands in a, in a receiving posture. Would you do that for me? Just extend your hands in a receiving posture. Father God, I do. I ask that right now. Through the power of your spirit, if, 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 the, if the names of folks have not already come to mind, I ask that right now that, that you begin to help them, uh, that for names come to mind, that for some of us, for us to begin to see faces. It's not really a hard question. These are people, some of them are not yet believers. Some of them are believers. But these are the people that we're going to disciple on the spiritual journey of coming to find and follow Jesus. Lord, who are those people that you've strategically placed in our life for that very cause? This is not going to be something that we, is like a program that we add to our life. No, this is how we live our life. This is just how I live our life. They're already there. And Lord, how do we, with, with the names in mind and with the, those, those, those faces in front of us, how do we, kinda, how do we take a posture of, of really doing everything we can, of generosity, of, 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 of open-handedness with them, with a genuine curiosity and interest in their lives, and, and what is the good gift that God prepared in advance for them to do, and how do we release them and, and encourage them and equip them and help them to do that? Father, release all of us from this desire that we have to get the credit. Release all of us from any kind of pride, in, in, from any kind of arrogance that begins to creep in that says, you know, we want to get the credit. We want our name to be known. But Lord, at the end of the day, that only Jesus' name is known. Only Jesus' name is celebrated and his kingdom is advanced. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit speak. Holy Spirit speak. And it's Jesus' name we pray.